This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I was so excited about this book. So I knew this book was coming out with Karabi. I'd seen it in a couple online places. uh, And so I I just pre-ordered it. It's uh, Tales from the Other... Motley Crue frontman in Journeys Through Life, In and Out of Rock and Roll, Horseshoes and Hand Grenades, John Karabi, and read it in two days uh, because it was just so good. Like, it tells the stories. And John and and I have crossed paths a bunch of times through different people in, in weird ways, but he's always a, a great guy, always very down to earth. You can tell, you can always tell a guy who was born on the East Coast or Midwest and a guy who was born on the West Coast. It's just a, there's just a different mentality. It just is. There's just no way around that. And... But, you know, mostly I was always in awe of the journey, especially the biggest one we know is Motley Crue. Vince Neil out. I'm a huge Motley Crue fan at the time. I couldn't believe it. Vince is out. Then, you know, they're talking smack on him on MTV and Nikki and Mick and Tommy Lee. And, it, you know, before that, it was like a gang. You can't believe it's all falling apart. And then there's a new singer from Motley Crue. And you're like, who could this guy be? And you just watch the whole thing unfold. And it's a journey that literally, I think this book is somewhere around, what was it, 500 pages, 450 pages, and it covers it all, from growing up in Philly, which we're going to cover, to, hell man, he was almost derailed on a murder charge before he ever really got into his first great band. Born April 26th in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, we first met him as the front man for the band, The Scream, but the world truly got to know him during his tenure as lead vocalist for Motley Crue. His name is John Karabi. such bands as Union, and the Dead Daisies, as well as playing guitar for the likes of Brides of Destruction, and Rat. He released a solo single earlier this year, Your Own Worst Enemy, and he's recently released his biography, Horseshoes and Hand Grenades. Please welcome, longtime friend of the show, John Corby. John Karabi, how are you this morning, brother? I'm all right, buddy. How are you? Good, man. This book, I, I, I reached out to you. I texted you. The second I got it done, I was just like, God damn, this is really good. I mean, it, it's one of the well, great... Well, we, we, we do have to let your listeners know it is an easy read because it's a coloring book. But besides <laughs> that... <laughs> I mean, you did what I love on these books, and you, you just told the truth. The good, the bad, the ugly, the ups, the downs, all of it. Like, it to me, it, it, it really is, is one of the great rock and roll books. You know what? Um, I got to I, I got to admit, like um, <clears throat> I did a few chapters and you know this uh, back in the day when they they did the dirt, um, you know, and then the you know, the whoever was in charge of writing the book took some liberties of coloring. Right. And, um, I, you know, I was kind of concerned about doing the book. And, and, you know, as well as I do, we've known each other for a while. I, I'm not like that typical 
uh, you know, those VH1 behind the scenes about, you know, they'll do a band. It's like the bands, you know, they, they get together, they, they jam, they get a record deal, they become famous, they do drugs, they fall apart. They, right. You know, I don't have that typical story. So I was like, not real sure. Like, you know, I'm, I, I was telling the co-writer, Paul, I'm like, you know, I don't have like that typical story, dude. And he was like, nah, this is great. It's great. Just tell your story. I think people would want to know a little bit about you. And so we did. And, but I, I told him, I said, it's gotta be in my voice and it's gotta be honest, like just straight up here it is. If you like it, awesome. I hope you like it, but this is my story. And I, it's, you know, well, no, there's... As much as I can remember it, it, you know, I think I was pretty much on point. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's got everything. And, and since, like, when we, when we, our rock stars that we love, our musicians we love, we've all, well, you do it, I do it, and people do it to you. It, it you live vicariously through these these musicians and these storytellers. And when you see the story behind you, John Karabi, the growing up in Philadelphia, a broken family, uh, you struggled with a lot. You had a crappy stepfather, recovering Catholic, much like me. I was an altar boy. Like, I had to get out of that business. And, you know, hell, you almost copped. At 15 years old, this kid comes up dead that you had fought. Now, he had stolen somebody's, this is the neighborhood you lived in. He had stolen your buddy's mom's food stamps. And so you liked to fight at the time. And you guys fought, but he was very much alive when you left him. Yeah, I mean, he literally got up and walked home. And um, as it says in the book, like, you know, it was like, I, I, don't, I, I don't remember exactly how long ago. It was like a couple weeks, a month, something like that. <clears throat> and the police came to my house. And, you know, I, I could hear my mom answer the door. I was upstairs listening to music and... You know, I heard my mom answer the door and then I heard her scream and yell, Johnny, you know, Johnny come, you know, whatever. So I running downstairs and, um, you know, they put me in handcuffs and took me to the station. And I was there with my mother for God, eight hours, nine hours, just asking questions. And. I'm just sitting there and then they took, like I said, in the book, they slid a photo of the calendar kid. They put it in front of me and, you know, they're asking me about the fight. And I just I, like literally a, from I'm sitting here looking at a dead body photo. Sure. You're and, 15 years old. Yeah. And I was like, Oh my God, I think I'm going to throw up. You know what I mean? Sure. And, um, you know, so, and I was, you know, it, it, it was weird, you know, back then I was, I was kind of getting into a bunch of different stupid things and, but I, you know, they, they, they talked to me quite a few times about that thing. And my mom, like, do we need a lawyer? And they're like, no, not yet. They never charged me with anything, but I was definitely a person of interest. Uh, you know, whatever. When I, found, when I found that poor kid's body, like he was beat to death. He was mutilated. He was under a pile of rocks. And, and it's a terrible thing to show a fifth year old. So I'm thinking about that. While I'm reading the book like, God damn, to be 15 and be terrified of cops. And, you know, you grow up the way you grow up. Right. In certain neighborhoods, you're afraid of cops. And and then this. But it turns out his goddamn father was a, what is was his dad. Right. It was a serial killer. Yeah, it's it's weird. And, and it's on Google. If you look it up. Um, Joseph Callinger, and he, and he was just always off. Like it, he was, it, he had this little shoemaker store literally right around the corner from my house, right behind my house, up a couple of doors. And he was just one of these guys where, you know, kids congregate, they sit there, they talk, they sit on the steps and they're whatever. And he would just freak out. Like if, if me or any of my buddies were standing out in front of his shop, he would come out with a camera and he would take our photos and he'd be yelling and cursing and, you know, all this other stuff. And we were like, wow, what, like, what is his deal? And then we had talked with one of his, cause he had three boys. There was like Joey, Jimmy and Joey, Jimmy. I can't remember the other son's name, but there was, there was like five kids in the family and we hung out with the three boys. And, um, 
And then as it turned out, like, you know, his, one of his sons would say, you know, like, oh, yeah, my yeah. dad, like, he tortures us and, like, all this other kind of stuff. And, you know, so it was just weird. But you didn't so we, believe it, right? At the time, you don't really yeah. believe it. Yeah, you're like, what? You know, well, okay, whatever. So we just kind of made it a sport. Like, we would do the bags of dog poop on his step and light them and run and, <laughs> you know, just dumb yeah. stuff. Yeah, kid stuff. Yeah, and I'm I'm sitting there like... You know, and then, you know, only to find out later that it was the father that killed his own son for insurance money. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and then it, there was this thing where him and his one son, they, they were going around, they would case case homes and they would watch like these husbands leave, you know, their young wife at home. And like as soon as the, the husband drove away, they'd wait a few minutes and then they'd go up and they'd pose as like, you know, a gas worker or, or a water, you know, oh, there was a water main break, whatever. And they'd get into the house and they would rob the house. And in most cases, the father would tie the woman up and have the 13-year-old son rape yeah. the wife and in some cases kill her. It's, it's the craziest thing you've ever, you know. So when you buy a rock and roll book by a musician, if you're just from the show, the great John Karabi, you don't believe this is going to be in the first 10 chapters, in the first five chapters. You're like, this was your childhood. Your, your, your childhood was, and you, you say horseshoes and hand grenades, like that's a bad near miss. There were many good near misses where you cross paths with better, you know, good people, and it didn't quite work out. But thank God you didn't, you know, that guy could have smoked you, could have killed you, could have killed your mom, could have, if he decided that he was going to focus on you, John Karabi, how bad it could have been. Yeah, well, man, that's the thing. Like, you know, you sit back after the, you know, after the whole thing goes down and you're like, you know, you start reading about this in the paper and you're like, Oh my God, like this, this monster that they're talking about in the paper lives right there. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like I've, I've made a, I've made a career out of torturing this guy. Yeah. Um, you know, and it was just like, what? Like I, it was kind of mind blowing. You know what I mean? The whole, the whole thing. And, and, uh, I mean, even after he went to prison, like he was just nuts. He thought he was a butterfly and he was reincarnated and he killed, uh, he killed a couple of other inmates, uh, you know, and so he spent like the last part of his life in solitary confinement until he died. You know, you know what I mean? When, yeah. When somebody like, you know, has a childhood like you, a lot of times they never, they, this, it stunts them. Like that's it. It's a failure to, to, you know, to, to take off, you just you end up living whatever neighborhood. You knock up the first girl that gives you a piece of ass. You get married, and it's all birth, school, work, death. You're a miserable prick your whole life. Like it happens a lot in this world, and mm -hmm. you knew you had to get out. You'd started, you had your band. You'd you'd you know go to Jersey from Philadelphia, that whole East Coast, show, uh, you know that 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 world. But you knew all of a sudden it's happening in California. You get you get your buddy goes, and you take your band Angora, and you end up. In Hollywood, California, right? But yeah, it's it, and but you know you figure things out in stages. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. when I was first starting, I would go because it, it was it was funny. Pennsylvania drinking age was twenty one, but the drinking age in New Jersey was eighteen. So you know, Fridays everybody hopped into a car. You literally just—I mean, I only lived probably five minutes from the Delaware river. So you would just get in your car, you would go over the bridge and go into Jersey and you would go to these clubs and watch these bands and drink. And, you know, so the, the initial stage was, Oh God, I want to do that. Like I, I just saw these guys playing Zeppelin and Aerosmith sure. and Van Halen, and, you know, so I, I just want to do that. And then I got to the point where I was, I was doing that whole circuit and then I started to realize, well, you know, if I want to be like Steven Tyler or Robert Plant or David Bowie, then you kind of have to write your own music. Right, right. Um, and, you know, I'd, I'd done the cover thing for quite a few years. I made a great living. I was able to support my family on the money that I was making at the time. So it was killer. But to to take that next step i had to write music so i had to get out of that scene and then start putting an original band together and even then it was like well yeah okay you can play a couple of originals but we still right. want you to do that new yeah. van halen song and 
you know, so it was like you were kind of doing a hybrid of original music and covers. And and then finally, a buddy of mine went to L.A. and saw what it was like out there. And we just said, you know what, let's do this. And we all moved out. It took us about a year because we moved out individually. Um, but it but is we went the out move. And, it, it is the move. Now? It is the move, man, you know, because if you don't do it, if you just, you know, you can come up with a million reasons to not do something like that because it's scary. It's weird. It's, it's all on the table. But if you don't, you know you're never going to jump. And you get there, and it doesn't take long, though, for you to even to run into Gene Simmons, who, by the way, has, like, the best intuition about so many different bands, but he always comes on too, too strong. And I, I love Gene, but good God, dude, he, every band has a Gene Simmons story. Yeah, yeah, and you know what, Gene, like, I, I, we were actually talking to Gene about possibly doing, you know, a foreword for this book. But then we sat down and we looked at how long the book was, and, and, the, and the publishing company, much to their credit, they, they read the book and they go, we, you know what, it's really long in, in the grand scheme of autobiographies, right. but it's a good read. It doesn't seem as long as it is. So they didn't edit the book down at all. Um, so we just said, you know what? Okay, a foreword from Gene, it's going to be a little over the top. So we, we kind of opted to not do it. But Gene's always been kind of this quiet little supporter. Um, he wanted to sign Angora. It didn't work out. Um, but I remember him <laughs> telling me one time on the phone, he goes, you know, in his very stoic voice, he's like, Mr. Karabi, Gene Simmons. And he, he would just go, mark my words, you're going to be a star. You know what I mean? And then I sub went, so when I got the screen record, I ran into him again. And he's like, Mr. Karabi, what did I tell you? You're going to be a star. <laughs> and so then I got the classic. Motley gig. And I got the Motley gig. And he talked, he talked. Talks about himself sometimes in third person, but he goes, Mr. Karabi, Mr. Simmons is never wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's what I was going to say. He is such an incorrigible human in, in so many ways and just so full of himself, but you can't help but, but love him because he, he's right. He's, you know what, Gene makes no bones. And he's, you know, he's, 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 he's got a very good sense of humor. He's really hilarious. And, uh, you know, he tells you these jokes where he's he's actually kind of taken a little bit of a piss out of himself. Yeah. And, you know, like I, I remember one time he held out a bunch of change in his hand and he had, you know, some quarters and dimes and nickels and pennies. And, and he spread them all out in his hand. He goes, Mr. Karabi, you see those dimes and nickels and pennies? And I'm like, uh, yeah. And he goes. I'm angry with those dimes and nickels and pennies. And I go, okay, why? And he goes, cause they're not quarters. <laughs> you know, and he was Classic telling me, yeah, he, he told me, he goes, I took my son Nicholas out in front of his, in front of his, you know, that massive home that he has in, you know, Bel Air, Beverly Hills, wherever it is. And he's like, I, I took my son Nicholas out and I said, Nicholas, someday all of this, will still be mine. <laughs> Which is, yeah, that's it. And he's, and he's so honest. Like he hated the, I was going to laugh cause he, he did, I was going to tell you, he loved the name Angora, but he clearly did not. He was very clear with you. It was stupid. Oh. He was just hated. And it. still to this day, dude, like I, I just did a couple tours with him a few years ago. Now I'm, I'm talking like 25, 30 years has passed and he will literally come up to me and go, John Karabi. Yes, Mr. Simmons, how are you? He's like, I'm fine. How are you? Um, Angora, worst band name ever. Should have been, <laughs> should have been eight ball. Should have been eight ball. That's what he wanted, yeah. Yeah, Cause, cause and I'm it was like, four like, guys. This is, by the way, I think eight ball like you. Like I go, oh, Coke, and no, not Coke. Four guys, eight balls. Right, exactly. That's what that your your band's going to be called, eight ball. And I'm like, uh, why are you? Nah, eh. but it's hard. And and he still, there's a song that I wrote. Um, to me, it's unlistenable. Like I can't even listen to the song. Like it's just crazy. And I, but we went into the studio. 
um, with Steve Vai producing. And we did a song called Are You Waiting? And we did a song called um, Hey Operator. And uh, I listen to the song and I go, oh, my God, it's the worst song ever. Um, But Gene heard it and loved it. He and he to, to this again, still to this day, he goes, Mr. Garabi, hey, operator, best song you ever wrote. <laughs> and I'm like, OK, great. But it was funny. There's a little bit of a story there. And now I kid with him and he'll go, Mr. Garabi, hey, operator, best song you ever wrote. And I go, yeah, I liked it a lot better when it was called Domino. Because if you listen to if you listen to Hey Operator and listen to Domino, they're not they don't sound alike, but they're similar. Right. Um, You know, so I kind of poke at him as well. But he's a great dude. I love Gene Simmons. Like, you know, I got to be honest with you, Johnny. Most of the people that I've come across like heroes of mine um, growing up have all been amazing and it's for some weird reason it's the it's it's actually the younger bands yes the newer bands that are coming up they start getting a little taste of fame and success yeah and they just go crazy yes no and you're like a-holes. it's it's the greats are always great john always like you know i'm going to jump forward before we reverse but you were you you got out of a helicopter once and your your driver in a golf cart was one Brian Johnson, who is a great. Yeah. Unbelievable. The nicest guy on the planet. Yep. I couldn't, that, that was, and I, I had only been in the band maybe, uh, well, February, that was April. So two months. Yeah. And I still wasn't putting two and two together. And that's when, but that weekend is when I realized exactly what was happening to me. Cause we did a, we did a little jam on Catalina, our tour manager was getting married and Brian was there and his wife, Brenda. And I was literally standing on stage. Nikki didn't go to the wedding. So I'm playing bass, Mick's playing guitar, Tommy's playing drums, and we're doing Back in Black. And then Brian opens his mouth and starts singing it. And I'm, that's when I had my moment. I go, I'm looking, I go, yeah. Tommy Lee on drums, Mick Mars on guitar. That's the voice from that back in black record and like, Oh my God, somebody pinch me right now because yeah. I cannot believe this is happening. Dude, I've been it was crazy to hang with Brian a number of times and go to dinner with him. And he is the most gregarious, kind, thoughtful, generous, wonderful. I cannot, I, there just aren't enough words for Brian. He is he's, he's great. That, but that's what I mean. Like I, I, you know, obviously you read the book, you know, I've met, the guys in Deep Purple. I've met Brian Johnson and, and some of the other guys in ACDC and Rob Halford and, and Steven Tyler and all the guys in Aerosmith. And I don't know what it is, but it's like, I think they, you know, I'm sure when they were younger, they were probably, you know, difficult, but it's like, I think you kind of get a little older, you settle in and, and, and then it's like, they're just normal guys. Like you just sit and talk with them about their kids and their family yeah. and their life. And it's just like normal. Yeah. And I've been very blessed to have met them at that point of their career when they were just nice guys. Well, there's a blue collar thread that goes through everything. Like, you know, the way Brian grew up and in Jordy and, and where he grew up in England and, and where you grew up in Philly. And there's just certain things where... I do believe, with all my heart, listen, we, we both know tons of West Coast guys, and, and they're fine, but it's a different mentality, a different personality, a different set of ethics and loyalty. It's just, it's a different world, man. I, uh, yeah. I, I'm reading your book, and, I, and I'm laughing at these crazy parallels. You know, I moved when I was 18 out to L.A., and I lived at uh, on Yucca Street Apartments, at Yucca and La Palmas, and I was talking to uh, uh, Satchel from, from Steel Panther about how I lived next door to Paul Gilbert in 101, and I, I lived in 101, and he lived in 102, and he's like, dude, I was his roommate. So we literally, at the same time, lived all next door to each other in that crappy little apartment complex. And you remember how bad Yucca Street was in, in you know, at that time. Well, and that's that was why I went right. It was it was funny, and I I, I think I mentioned it in the book, but um, I mean, shortly after getting the Motley gig, Tommy came to my house. 
Um, I was on a street called Ivar, which yes. if you remember, yes. Las Palmas was, I think, uh, there was a 7-Eleven that everybody used to go to for beer and whatever, yep. right around the corner. And so Las Palmas was on the west side. I was on the east side. And we were about maybe a block away from that 7-Eleven using that as the hub. But um, right around the corner, there was a bar. And t- I remember Tommy coming down. And there was literally a gunfight at the corner of my street. My kids were out in front of the house. And there was all these bullets ricocheting and gunfight. You know, Tommy literally was freaking out. And then, uh, you know, he went back to the band. He goes, oh, we got to get him out of there. It's like a war zone down there. Yeah. And um, and it was, you know, they talked about it. And then, you know, I wound up getting stabbed. jumped. You got stabbed. I got stabbed with a not not a knife, but a, it was like a giant, you know, those mechanics when they, you know, they're trying to tweak your the idle on a car. They yeah. use those big, long screwdrivers. Sure. Again, a guy stabbed me like I don't know, seven or eight times with one of those screwdrivers and uh, not fun. No, um, but that's when they, they were like, all right, dude, we're, you know, they gave me an advance and moved me up to Thousand Oaks where it was somewhat civil. <laughs> Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. So while we're jumping far forward, though, if you're just joining the show, John Karabi, and uh, you either know from Motley Crue, you can know from Dead Daisies, from, from playing guitar with Rat, with... I mean, just from Union, which was, God damn it, there's just no And, and listen, why don't, we just, why don't we just tell them what band I wasn't in, ABBA. <laughs> right? So you, <laughs> you've got Scream, and, and this, it's, it's all happening. You guys aren't great friends in the band. It, there's a lot of friction, but sometimes that breeds incredible music. But all right. of a sudden, Nikki Six gives the Scream on your first album uh, a bit of love, and you called the management to say, hey, I just wanted to say thanks, because a mention from Nikki Six is a huge endorsement and it really does help jumpstart a band's, you know, album sales and interest in it. Right. So, well, very innocent. Well, and that was, I wanted to tell that story um, because uh, again, you know, it's really funny. Like I, I completely understand these hardcore Motley fans, why they would not want somebody to replace any member of that band. I get it, but it, I, I wanted to tell the story, um, basically what I was going through mentally and all these different things, but I just wanted to clear it up because, you know, I, I probably about a year or so ago, I had a fan write to me and he was calling me a loser and just, you know, you, you shouldn't have been in Motley. And, and I finally just sat down and I wrote him an email and I said, Hey dude, I get it. You know, but it's been, first of all, it's been 30 years, let it go. Right. Um, and, and the other thing is like, let me, let me, let me do this. Just be, just put yourself in my situation for a minute. I'm in a band that's doing well, but not great. And all of a sudden, one of the biggest bands in the world calls you and offers you financial freedom 
And the option to go and, and stop playing clubs and start playing basketball arenas all over the world. Right. What do you do? And he wrote back. He was like, I, I never looked at it that way. I'm like, duh, that's what, like, seriously. So I put this story out there and, and um, you know, it, it, like, I just kind of told the truth. Like, here's, here's the deal. This is why I did it. I wasn't the adulterous girlfriend uh, on the side that, you know, they started flirting with and then fired Vince Neal. He was already gone. No. I was just some dude that was asked to do a job, and I did it. You got sucked into the vortex. And by the way, there's nobody on this planet that wouldn't have done exactly that. It's to the point where when your bandmates found out you were going to go down and jam with them, they were like, you got to go. Even though they knew it was the end of them, they knew, I mean, you have to be a realist. You, everybody's struggling to make it. When Nikki Six says, come on over and jam, you go jam. Yeah, and that was that was the thing. I mean, even my band guys uh, initially, and now you got to remember, too. My mother was just diagnosed with cancer. Right. My son was just diagnosed with diabetes. Yep. Um, you know, and, and I, I got to be honest with you, I I was not a massive Motley Crue fan. Yeah, that's fine. Um, you know, but they offered me the gig. Um, they told me that I could help contribute and write because I, t I told Nikki on the phone, like, I, I don't want to come and just sing shout at the devil. If you want me to come and be a part of this band, I need to be able to contribute and write. And he was all for it. Um, you know, but it was like, dude, this is a life changing thing. And my, my band guys were very supportive. They told me, dude, this is, you're going to be able to take care of your family. Right. You're going to be playing in arenas. Pay and, medical bills. You could have medical insurance. Exactly. And so they put it into perspective that way. And the thing was, initially, they were very supportive because in the negotiations, we were supposed to take the scream out. Once they got a new singer and a new record, we were going to take them out as our opening act on the tour that I did. Unfortunately, their label dropped them uh, after the record was done. And um, Nikki kind of reneged on the promise, but only because he's like, well, they don't have a record deal. They don't have a record out. Why would we take them on tour? If they had a record, we'd take them, but they don't have one now. And, you know, that came back with the other three guys in the screen. They kind of, um, you know... It kind of changed their opinion of, sure. you know, yours truly. So well, Yeah, well, no, when your situation, when your boat sinks, you're, you're mad at everybody, right? You're looking for someone to blame. But before we jump into that, like, I, I, again, because I, I don't want to run out of time with you. Because this, by the way, if you're just joining the show, John Karabi, from, we're talking about Motley, we're talking about The Scream, we're talking about everything from Angora to The Dead Daisies, from Rat to Union to The Brides of Destruction, all these incredible bands. The book is called Horseshoes and Hand Grenades. It's out now. It came out about two weeks ago, and... uh uh, that that when you talk about, you look at your wife, and you guys are living in this house, and you're you're you you like you said you're making it, but it's not the biggest band, and these guys call, and the next day you get up in the morning, put your pants on, your shirt on, you think oh, throat feels good, I guess I'm going to the studio, and I'm going to meet Motley, and I'll see what the hell happens, like, because in your mind you never believed you were going to get it, you kept thinking at any moment they were going to cut you because you they wouldn't even finish a song with you. Yeah, the first the first day we didn't finish anything like I, and I couldn't figure out like I, I was obviously I was freaking out. I'm like, why? Why do they keep ending the songs? Tommy told me later um, that uh, from a volume point of view, uh, they had the PA set for Vince. And he said, dude, when you start singing, it's just like it's like three times as loud so they kept stopping and pulling their monitors, the volume on their monitors down. I didn't know that. Um, so, but I was just freaking out. And then I'm like, I'm sitting there going, oh man, I'm sucking right now. Like they, we haven't finished one song, you know? And then they go, can you come back tomorrow? And I'm like, what? Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, sure. Honestly, Johnny, I just went there. Like I told you, I, I just went to say thank you. Yeah. And in all honesty, I was looking at it like, you know, maybe I'll get to meet the guys and maybe I can help them write a song for their next record. And that's money. Or 
or the Scream's next record. Um, you know, so when they said, welcome to the crew, you're the new lead singer, I was just as dumbfounded as the fans were. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I but, they, but they also knew. I mean, and I'll say it out loud because it's, it's such a strange thing. They knew that without Vince, they had to. And they also knew the 90s were coming. Rock and roll was changing. They were the dominant force in this, in this genre. And they saw you and they went, this is our guy. He's a great singer. He's a different, he's a different vibe. This is what carries us to the next place. And, and it should have worked. That, that record, when you started recording that record... You had to feel good because I don't care. I know Nikki feels he'll say weird stuff about that record, but man, that is one of my favorite records. Forget about Motley, the the, the name Motley. That record. Well, is and that's incredible. the thing that that's where the title kind of comes in because after rereading this book eight or ten times in the editing process, <clears throat> I kind I kind of realized I'm like, man, I am at the right place, but always at the wrong time. <laughs> and yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And 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 the whole thing, like I, I I don't know if you remember or not. I there's a story in there about my dad and his sense of humor. And you know, I used to say things to my dad like, Oh my god, dad, I think my ship has finally come in. And he would take a drag on his cigarette and go, Well, don't be at the airport. Um <laughs> Yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I'm like ah, yeah. <laughs> So we did horseshoes and hand grenades, but it was, you know, the funny thing of it is, is when we did that record, uh, again, even Bob Rock, Bob Rock listened to the record and he was like, dude, this record is every bit as good as the Metallica Black record. So I'm like, okay. And then we took it to Bob Krasnow, the guy, the president who got fired like three weeks after our record came out. And he, at the, when we were sitting there, he listened to the entire record from front to back. And when he was done, he literally looked at all four of us and he just said, oh my God, great job, boys. This record is up. And he, you know, expletive, yeah. whatever, a masterpiece. It's- and... You know, so we were, I, you know, I was like, wow, okay, you know, wow. So then I started to buy into the hype. Unfortunately, again, John Karabi shows up at the right place at the wrong time. The music industry is changing. Everybody at the record label gets fired. And then as I stated in the book, I think one of the other big things that Motley did wrong, besides calling it Motley Crue, was they drew a line in the sand with the fans by they taking did. a pot shot at Vince every yep. chance they got. It's a huge mistake. It it forces everybody to pick a side, and and they mm-hmm. all, they're always going to pick the most familiar side. You well, know? or the or the underdog. You know what I mean? It's yeah. people love an underdog, and it was like, you know, uh, I'm just waiting to cash in my underdog gold coin, but yeah, whatever. Right. Um, right. right. But it was just, you know, they're sitting there talking about Vince's weight. They're talking about his car racing. They're talking about his jewelry. They're talking about and that he can't sing. He doesn't contribute. And I'm like, "Ah, I don't know, guys, you know. But it was one of those things where I'm like, well, they've had a lot of success up to this point. They obviously know what they're doing. So I said some things, but I didn't push it. Yeah, no, it, it was such a weird thing because I remember being on the outside watching all this unfold. I can't wait for the record. I'm I'm excited about all of it. And and you're all of a sudden launching into this world. You're married. You have a kid. You live in this little rental house, and you're now you're you're moving up. They get you to a better place. Like you're out one day with Nikki Six. He says, "I got to go by the Harley shop. I need to pick up some parts for my bike." So you're like, "I'll roll with you." You were out doing stuff, and uh, and so. You were admiring a bike, and, and all of a sudden he, uh, he says, well, we'll come back later. i got to pick some parts up. I think I have that right. Yes. Yeah, we, we – well, it was – what happened is the night before, um, Nikki had a, this awesome herded soft tail. It was like seven up green and white. And it just was like, you know, trumpets. When I looked at this bike, yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm just unbelievable. So – he let me take a ride on it around his neighborhood. And I was like, oh, oh my God, like, this is awesome. 
And so the, literally the next day, I think he called Tommy and Mick and he said, Hey guys, crab rode my bike today. I want to get him a bike. And they all chipped in, but they, they took me like, it was this whole big setup. Like, Oh, I got to go get parts for Brandy's bike. Um, you know, so we, you know, we, I was at his house, we're writing lyrics. So we go, you know, we, we, he, he ta- he's talking to the owner of the store while he's talking, I'm looking at bikes and I saw this red heritage soft tail. I'm like, Oh, it's killer. It's classic. It's got white walls, the whole bit. And then we leave, we go get lunch. He hits a bank. We, you know, and then he's like, I got to go back and pick up these parts for Brandy's bike. Okay, great. We go, we pull up and the bike is literally sitting on the sidewalk with like a bow on it. And I'm like, Oh my God, somebody bought that bike already. I knew, look at it. It's, you know, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. so great. And Nikki literally just walked in, handed the guy a cashier's check and he turned around and grabbed the keys and he threw them at me and he goes, welcome to the crew. You know, so and crazy. I was, I was dumbfounded. Oh, I mean, dumbfounded. cause he's so capable. Nikki has always seen to me. He's just, he's so capable of generosity and friendship and everything. But man, there's another side. And, and it's also interesting. Tommy Lee has always seemed like a real happy go lucky, goofy kind of a kid. Mix this is the adult without a doubt. And I think he has always been a pretty even keeled guy. He can get into his own space. And then, you know, and Nikki's a, a, a genuine creative genius. But, you know, you, you start out on this Motley thing, and it's got all the potential in the world. The album is out. The tour is, is set. And it just it doesn't sell the tickets that they thought it would, you know, which is so shocking at the time, I'm sure, to be in the band because you're goddamn Motley Crue. Well, and, and that's the, that was the thing, like... Again, uh, you, you know, it, I, I remember, I remember seeing Polestar for that year, and it was crazy though, dude. Like everybody's ticket sales were down. Bon Jovi, Def Leppard, like everybody. Yeah. yeah. And we went out, tried to make the best of it, um, you know, and. But it it was weird. We were still like number nine or eight or something like that in the top ten grossing tours of that year. But and this, but... I, I was like, "Are you kidding me right now?" Like, it, it, it was just weird. I remember even seeing we played in Jacksonville, and the night that we played, Richard Marks was playing at a theater right across the street from us. And he was in like a 3000 seat theater and there was like 600 people there. Right. So it wasn't, it wasn't just Motley. It was everybody. Sure. That was, you know, now mind you, you know, your rarities like Prince, Madonna, like those, those kind of guys were still selling tickets. But for the most part, everybody, um, you know, you look at, uh, like Bon Jovi did the smart thing. He goes, I'm not touring the States. I'm going to Europe. And he toured Europe and Iron Maiden toured. And, you know, they went to South America and they worked all these other markets, but America for the longest time. Yeah, and listen, um, I think they were know. also looking to, to, you know, writers are, and critics are dicks. And, you know, so they're, it, you're right. That genre and that time was selling a few less tickets. It wasn't because the band wasn't good, but then you have a new lead singer, so they're gonna they're gonna take the, that shot at you. And I think that's that's the other thing that you suffered un, unjustly. And well, but Bob, you know what? Bob Rock told me that. Bob sat me down one day. We were sitting. It was just me and him sitting in the control room, and he said to me, "He goes, Crab. I can tell you right now, this can go one of two ways." If this record sells what I think it's capable of selling, you're going to be a genius. If it sells bad and it doesn't do as well as I think it should, you're going to be the you're going to yeah. be the reason why. Yeah. Either way, I, so, and I knew it. I, I kind of knew it going in. You know, when we were kidding around saying the new ingredient. I knew exactly what we were. I knew exactly right, what right. was happening. Bob Rock made it very clear to me in the beginning. Yeah, and so the album goes the way it goes. Uh, you start working towards another one, 
And then you get that call by the record company. You you get called. They call it a meeting on Friday the thirteenth, which is never a good sign. And the other second sign is when you walk in there, some some suits on, uh, some some walking dicks walk in, and and you're just like this. This is gonna go bad. Yeah. Well, it it, it was funny. We had the meeting first. We flew to New York. Uh, shortly after Tommy and Pam had gotten married, we went to New York. And, um, you know, I was supposed to go to this meeting. And at the 11th hour, this guy named Doug, uh, I want to say his name was Doug Morris. Um, he was like, so you, you understand, like there was Warner Brothers, right? there was Electra, and there was Atlantic. And each one of those had a president. And then, but above that was Time Warner the umbrella, which owned what they called WIA. You know what I mean? The, right, the right. three labels. Water, electric, and electric, all yes. their subsidiaries. And Doug Morris was sitting at the top. And uh, we were supposed to go in and meet with him and literally like got up. I took a shower. I had breakfast. And we're supposed to go in for the meeting. And our tour manager, Mike Amato, came to the room and he goes, hey, listen, Doug Morris called. And he does not want you at the meeting. Ugh. And I'm like, well, why? And he wants to talk to Tommy and Nikki. And at that meeting, he sat down and he said, listen, guys, uh, you know, I don't care if you like this Karabi guy, you know, not this wasn't what we purchased when we re-upped your contract for 30 million. Um. You know, you guys want back on top again? Get Vince Neal, and you will have the full support of everything behind you. And they walked out of the meeting, and they told me. They're like, Doug Mars wants us to get Vince back. So at that point, I started, I was, I just felt like for the next eight months or so, uh, a year, I was just on an eggshell. Do you know what I mean? No, it's a terrible, what a terrible feeling, man. And then, you know, we know ultimately it, it did happen, and... It's just, by the way, guys listening, if you're just coming to the show, John Karabi, Motley Crue, and we're talking about this section of the book, we haven't covered uh, marriages, uh, the dead daisies, which is a fascinating thing. Um, going, being in rat, you know, uh, just so much stuff. Where you are today in Nashville, uh, jamming with your son, all the music you're putting out now. Uh, I've run out of time because I, I just I just got a producer just told me we're We've been talking for 50 minutes, and I haven't played any commercials, so we're w wickedly behind. Oh, so are, are you telling me that we're not going to discuss my second ex-wife? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, well, that's here's the crazy thing is, is you know, at that time, and this is such a weird subject, especially with you and I, because Pearl used to live with me. Jizzy Pearl used to live with me. And and so we were friends from the love-hate days, and I remember yeah. him being so upset because of the Layla thing. And, of course, from one point of view – it's, it sounds like the, the, the bigger rock star stole your girl. But what, what you find out when I read the book is the other side that I never knew, which was she just lied to you. You know, you met yeah, them. I, I she... didn't know, dude. And I asked her. I was like, what's the deal with you and Jizzy? Are you guys, like, living together? Or is that your husband? Is it your boyfriend? No, 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 no. We're just roommates. And, you know, so and, and let, let's be real. Okay, we know this. It's kind of common knowledge. She could suck a bowling ball through a garden hose. <laughs> yeah. But she had um, that Midwestern, such a, a, a beautiful, she was such, she had the greatest facade. Like, you know, I know I've heard the stories, but when you met her and I met her, she was this beautiful Midwestern Minnesota type girl. You just didn't see it coming. No, I didn't. I, you know, I and I should have. There was plenty of signs. You just don't see it because you start thinking with the wrong head. Right. And right. you're like, you know, you, you don't want to believe it. And even Bruce, like Bruce Kulik, he was dumbfounded. He was like, oh, I really like this girl. She's really cool, dude. Like, yeah, she's a keeper. You know, everybody that met her was like, oh, yeah, dude, she's a keeper. She's a keeper. She's a keeper. And it was like, <clears throat> wrong. Oh, <laughs> and dude, I'm like, oh, my God. My heart was I'm not I'm not kidding you, Krabby. I, I, and I mean this for real like because i've been through a relationship like that and my heart broke for you. i was just like you, you, you're getting kicked in the balls by the crew 
this girl comes along, and that you know that's definitely a way to feel better. Your heart's good again. You're you're inspired again. Just your life, your heart's beating hard again, and and then slowly it unravels, and you keep giving them another chance and another shot and another chance, and it just gets worse, you know. And it's yeah, it's it's, it's a, and listen, you do dumb stuff for love. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. I just again, I didn't see, and it and it's my fault. You know what I mean? Like I I had every opportunity to go wait a minute, this doesn't add up. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. I didn't. And Jizzy and I were good with it. You know, obviously we toured together yeah. with Rat and, and, and like I talked with him and I apologize. And, um, you know, and even in his own little sarcastic way, when the whole thing with me <laughs> yeah. and Layla went south, he oh, just looked at me and smirked. You know, Jizzy, he oh, goes, sure. Oh, sure. how's it feel? <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> God damn, man. You yeah. know what? I'm not going to answer that question, you bastard. Yeah. But whatever, it, yeah. it was what it was. No, it was such a strange thing. Like, but I mean, in, in this book, and I'm telling you guys, if you love reading rock and roll books about the, the life that you can only imagine, I love the idea of uh, the romanticism of, of of taking that job, uh, you know, OTR over the road, you know, trucking to get your head right to to get back into music, you know, and, and jam again with with different these bands you've done. I mean, Union, it's a, it's just a sin that 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 record didn't sell platinum. Uh, I, I I thought the Brides of Destruction record, shut the f up. One of my I beat that song to death at my house, you know. Uh, yeah, and, and and you know what, too, just for the record, for your listeners, I, I want to thank you because, you know, I, I mean, I obviously I met you when I was in Union. That was my first, uh, I think, my first time coming to the studio to hang out with you. Yeah. You know, but you've always been a huge supporter, great dude with us, and, and, and you know, waving the flag and, uh, you, you know, so it, it, it was cool to hear from you, obviously, about the book, too. But, um, you know, uh, I, I just appreciate the, you know, the the support for all these years. But, you know, again, Union was uh, another one of those things. Right place, wrong time. You know, I think it was. But, but it's funny. I have this M.O. I put records out. Nobody cares about them when they're out. And then 15 or 20 years later. It's like they all like the scream, the Motley record, the union stuff. Uh, it it, it com- becomes like this weird cult classic. Right. So I'm thinking that the new music I'm writing, my granddaughters are going to be set up for life. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, I'm telling you, we listened to Costa Bella, the so beautiful song earlier. And, uh, and of course, as you were getting intro, the, your own worst enemy, the latest. It's uh, listen, you're in Nashville now. You're where you should be writing songs and just getting better all the time. Uh, and I'll tell you guys, go buy everything you can find on Union. It's still online. You can still buy great copies of it. Uh, Brides of Destruction, uh, ESP stuff, anything you find, Dead Daisies. It is just, it's, you know what, dude? I love stories like yours because I think they're all our stories. They're the stories we want to believe in, that guys who come from a hard beginning can, can attain greatness and, and hold on to their integrity and be loyal, good human beings and come out the other side happy even if it it doesn't it doesn't matter if you're a billionaire you found your happiness you found your gratitude your family your life your love everything that you needed in the end it finally did come to you well and it it, but it took me a minute to figure it out you know what i mean and and again like that that thing like all the stuff that i was worried about with motley and paying bills and you know i kind of you know, some people look at me sometimes like I'm pessimistic, but I'm not. I think I'm pessimistically optimistic, <laughs> um, yeah. if that even makes any sense. But it's like, dude, you can only do what you do to the best of your ability. Even with a guy like you, you're like, okay, this is what our show is going to be today. We're going to do this. We're going to have Karabi in. And if your team isn't into it, you can do your best. It's like you you kind of you got to kind of you're relying on other people Always. to help deliver the message. It's everything. And That's right. I, I just kind of I just kind of got to the point like it's like well I can only do what I do uh, as long as I have my help. I have some good people around me that tell me they give me support when I need it, but they also tell me when I'm being an a hole uh, as well, and they just say, "Dude, back up! You're you're being." difficult about this stop and you know so i've got a good team around me and i'm making a living i'm paying my bills and life is groovy 
You know what I mean? I'm like, whatever. Dude. Hopefully, I'll sh- I'll do my Sergeant Peppers. Um, you know, right. my next maybe my next record will be the one that puts me over the top. Some people arrive, you know, yeah. early to the party. Some arrive late. Some never arrive at all. <laughs> well, <laughs> Who knows? Listen, man, you've done it. Hey, listen, JohnKarabi.com. By the way, go buy the book, buy the albums, go through it all. I'm, but I, I'm telling you, we only scratched the surface of this book. It's 450 pages long, and it is not in any way. There's no filler. Nothing about it made me want to flip a page. I, I literally read everything in two days. Again, it's a coloring book, so that's kind You're of it. That, that's actually a long, a long read, buddy. <laughs> it, it is, it is great. I'm proud for you because I, I think I think your story deserves to be told, and it's it is a great story. I think it's it's everything. It's it's got all of it. It's got all the raunch and roll anybody wants. You want the the the, the truth about Motley, the the good parts, the sad parts, the happy parts, the the near misses. It's it is horseshoes and hand grenades. I I, I I'm telling you, I think it's a great book. Johnny, well, thank you, brother, for um, for the words of uh, support. And um, by the way, I just wanted you to know when I was talking to Jake earlier, he said you were huge. And I just said, listen, bro, that's kind of uh, you shouldn't be talking about Johnny like that. Let's just say big boned. OK. <laughs> Dude, I love you, you, might want to, you might want to shake up your team there, buddy. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That bastard. That bastard. All right, man. Listen, I'll talk to you very, very soon. All right, brother. I love you. I love you, man. Take care. He's always been a fantastic dude even when we hung up yeah. out at Sturgis whatever I didn't realize how funny like off the air like I go wait, you wait, know, what were you telling him about me I said Johnny read the book in a couple of days you know he's a huge fan or whatever and he goes let me stop you right there did you just call him huge <laughs> <laughs> he's such a he, he really is like a, a good dude and it's such a funny because I, I thought it was fantastic he brought it up uh, we just we, I, I just ran out of time Otherwise, I would have brought up the... I wasn't trying to avoid the subject with Layla. Right. You know, his ex-wife and Jizzy's ex-girl uh, at all. But it was a big bone of contention because this was a friend of mine, and he was very hurt. But in the end, when you read the story, you're like, oh, of course it went that way. And, and then the know. other kick in the balls is they end up touring yeah. together. Yes. And you know Jizzy. He, he said it, but every but day Jizzy was like, how you doing, buddy? Oh, the snarkiest. <laughs> and I love him. Like, I tell you, he's a brother. Like... But he is the snarkiest, like, <laughs> Jesus Christ, right. Just, and he waits till the right moment, and then the fork goes in. And he's like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just that way. And uh, it, it is, uh, but he, an interesting cat, Krabby, I think it's, it's a great book, man. And if you haven't heard some of the stuff, like, uh, most people miss Brides of Destruction. Yeah. This, I mean, like, dude. He's playing guitar in this with Nikki Six on bass. Nice. And then I think Tracy Guns was the other guitar player and a singer named London. I mean, just the, the, like, what he's doing, the, the most recent was this one, Your Own Worst Enemy. Then I'll take a break. By the way, all this is available at johnkarabi.com. Johnkarabi, C-O-R-A-B-I.com.
killing it, man. Yeah, he is. You know what? Maybe he will write his Sergeant Pepper. You know what? Mere mouth to God's ear, brother. Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.